For some of you who might be a little bit newer to our fellowship, you might be wondering why all the songs about God. Well, we're a group of normal people here. And because we're normal, we go through some good weeks, some great weeks, and just some weeks. And when we do, we have an opportunity to be able to come every Sunday and to gather with other believers. Those folks who have come to a place in their life when they recognize, wow, they've been separated from God, every one of us, because of our choices, because of our sin. And yet Jesus Christ came to this world 2,000 years ago to spread his arms, to shed his blood, to pay our debt so that we might be restored to a relationship with God. How amazing. How beautiful. Now, a relationship with God doesn't fix everything. We know that. But what that does is give us an opportunity to be able to walk our journey with God and with other folks that are walking with God. And we're able to encourage and strengthen one another as our God meets us and as our God encourages us. So we come together on a Sunday and and we begin to just praise. We worship the King, the one who loves us and has restored us. And it's good. It's good. We have a good God. We have a God that loves us. We have a God that overwhelms us. And in the more time that you spend focusing on God and entering into a relationship with God, you become overwhelmed by His grace because there's not one person here, including the person on this platform, that deserves anything but God's wrath. So how cool, how wonderful, how freeing, how amazing our God really is. You know, last week we had the opportunity to begin a brand new series. It's a rather short series. It's a series that's only going to take three weeks. And I'm going to review just a little bit today. But I just want to let you know, for you to actually get the full impact, I want to encourage you to go back, if you weren't with us last week, to be able to get that podcast. I think, again, it will encourage your soul and also help you in the flow of what I'm trying to actually say. But it's pretty cool. It's pretty cool that the Almighty God has given each one of His kids a mission. I was praying earlier this morning and just reflecting on the 12 guys that Jesus chose. They weren't really that special. They were kind of crazy in some ways. They were kind of impetuous. 
probably not people we would choose for leadership roles, at least if we had a company or a church right now. But that wasn't God. Jesus saw something so amazing with some very simple men. And he gave them a mission. He spent some time with them and then left the planet and said, hey, I've got a job for you. We've lived together. You've seen how I respond to people. You see the healing I bring. You see the joy that happens when people come to me. You know what I'd like you to do? Your assignment is literally, it's found in Mark chapter 16, verse 15. I want you to go into all the world, and everywhere that you go, I want you to preach good news. I want you to tell people the story of the kingdom of God. I want you to tell them about a God that truly does care and wants to make a difference in your life and has given you a purpose. Oh, we call most of the time this evangelism. And when evangelism is spoken about, most of us who are part of the church or most of us who are part of God's family begin to cower at the thought of sharing our faith. You, you mean, Rick, we, we have to actually, like, talk? We have to speak? We have to share? Well, I think there's a lot of good reasons why we don't want to share our faith. And I acknowledge it, really. Some of us don't really believe it's good news, right? Some of us aren't living lives that reflect God well, so we feel a little bit more like hypocrites. Some of us don't feel very mature or knowledgeable, and we are sure people are going to ask questions we have no idea how to answer. We're afraid at times of losing friends or even our reputation. We'll get invited to certain things. We want to respect people. I mean, if they want to believe something different, it's okay. I'm just going to believe what I believe. Well, sometimes we don't want people to be associated with the church. Maybe even our church. Man, if they came into our church, what would they think? What happens if... Yeah, you finish the sentence. Some people don't really believe in hell. Like, you know, everyone's going to kind of make it anyway, so why really force anybody? What happened if they actually responded? What happened if they actually came to faith? What happened if they actually understood the gospel? What happens? How would I tell them to grow? How would that work? And so we're fearful. Ultimately, we just come to the end and just say, you know what? We're not Billy Grahams. We just aren't Billy. Billy had a way to hold his Bible. Billy had a way with that stuff. By the way, Josie, did you, did you know that she's from the South? Did, did, did you sense that when she opened our service? I was thinking she might be Billy Gra No. But Billy Graham has this kind of Southern drawl, and, and it's just kind of like, oh, I need to respond. I don't even have a southern draw. I grew up in the city of Chicago. What's the worst accent you can have? You know? Oh, boy. And you get him as a pastor. 
You know, relax. I want you all to relax, honestly. These are real reasons. But I'm not here to badger you. I'm not here to even beat you up. I actually want to encourage you and pump your tires during this series. I'd like to redefine for you evangelism and crystallize God's assignment for us so that when you leave, you literally soar. Maybe not soar completely, but but at least run with a little different hop in your step. The book Surprise Your World has been foundational in the formation of this series. I shared with you last week that the author, Mike Frost, is Australian. We'll hear from him in just a little bit, and you'll get his Australian accent. But he's suggesting that followers of Jesus literally develop five missional values or habits. I think as a pastor, one of the hardest things as I interact with people is not that people don't want to be able to actually share good news or make an impact in our world. The biggest question is, how do I do that, Rick? How do I make an impact in our world? Well, I think if you walk with us this week, next week as we finish up, you're going to be actually excited about understanding truly what God wants us to do and how we can join Him in mission. But the rhythms that he's suggesting are designed to propel us outward beyond ourselves into the lives of others. You know why? Because most of us are really comfortable. We love our group of friends. We do. We love our activities. We love our rhythms. But most of the time, God has called us to be less comfortable. I don't know if you know that. How do you actually reach a world. There might be times that you have to expand some of your boundaries. But rhythms where your lives will surprise your world and draw people to the king. Before we jump in, though, let's pray. Father, I am grateful. I am so grateful just because you love us and you've given us an assignment Lord, I wonder why you decided to do that. We're so flawed. We're so fickle. We're so soiled at times. But God, you chose us. Would you open our minds today? Would you give us courage to be obedient? In Jesus' name, amen. A healthy Christian is growing relationally in three areas or arenas. There's the up, where you connect with God. There's the in, where you connect with other believers. And there's the out, where you are salt and light and have relationships with those who are not yet redeemed. All right? Up, though, as I shared last week, is the primary focus. Because if you're up, if your relationship with God is good and it's healthy, you will be able to do the in and the out well. We usually focus, if we're believers, and some of you have walked with God for a really long time. Some of you just a few months. I get that. 
But what happens is that we have a tendency to focus on one, maybe two, but very rarely three. Jesus lived a perfect up, in and out life, and actually encouraged his disciples to do the same. But before we proceed, we just have to review a bit more, especially because of some of the newer folks that are in our congregation today. Paul assumes a twofold approach to evangelism, the ministry of evangelism. Basically, what Paul looks at is this, and, and we're going to give you a bird's eye view. Um, but it's important, again, if you need more, you can go back to the podcast, or again, uh, we encourage you to actually even get the book. But Paul assumes, first of all, that some believers are evangelists. That means some believers, and I'm just going to use the word Billy Graham. We understand who Billy is. He is able to powerfully proclaim the good news. And that not only one or two come to faith, but sometimes armies and multitudes of people respond to the good news. The scriptures tell us in Ephesians chapter 4 that these are gifts to the church. That right now in our church, there literally are some people who are evangelists. They're able to proclaim clearly and accurately and fearlessly. Did you hear me say some? And that people do respond to the message. But everyone else, and I just want to say this because there was some confusion, almost, well, it's the large majority. We are expected to be evangelistic in our orientation as we live life. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 5, Paul tells a pastor, his young friend Timothy, and he says, do the work of an evangelist. He says, it's part of life. As you do ministry, as you live your life, do the work of an evangelist. It doesn't mean you're going to be an evangelist. It means literally you'll have opportunity to be able to share good news. So evangelists boldly proclaim while all the rest of the believers live questionable lives. Now it was brought up to me this last week that Rick, maybe questionable lives mean like secret lives uh, in a closet, like we don't want anybody to... No, 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 no. That's not what I'm talking about. Questionable lives are lives that well, people begin to wonder about. Why is that person so kind? Why is that person so gracious? How come he doesn't gossip like everybody else gossips? How come when he hits his thumb with a hammer, he says things, well, that nobody else says on the job? I just have to be honest with you. What sticks out? All right? So basically, in brief, our task, the majority of the believers on this planet, is to surprise the world. It's to live life so people start looking at you and say, I want some of that. And we're not talking about just because you're a hunk. We are talking about literally because your lives reflect your Savior. It is so cool. 
BELLS is an acronym for some practical missional habits. Life habits that God will use to help us reveal to our world how glorious the reign of God truly is. I believe, as I shared yesterday, yesterday, last week, the two L's are foundational. All right? That's listening to God and learning about Jesus. So literally last week, I took all the habits out of order. And let me just say this, is that you don't have to bless and then eat and then listen and go down the line. Learn and send in order. That's not the idea. But as you look at your week, the suggestion is that you end up doing all of these things sometime each week of our lives. 52 times out of your year, all right? And, and again, what we're asking you to do is spend one period of the week listening for the Spirit's voice. I didn't give you a time. I suggested some things. Dan again reiterated some things that I had shared about. But I encourage you to do this silence and solitude and we would walk with you and help you to be able to get to a place where you can hear from God. Literally. And he will guide you and direct you and empower you. Well, I gave you some suggestions about practicing silence and solitude. And again, you can go back. But what I'd like to ask you today, and not everyone was here last week, but if you were... Hey, how did that go? How did it go? Raise your hand. I'm just kidding. Do you know that that's maybe one of the hardest things in the whole world? Raise your No. Doing silence and solitude. It is. And I know if you did it this last week, it took courage. And maybe some of you literally only lasted five minutes. Five minutes. Rick, that was all I could take. (laughs) You know. But I want to encourage you. Again, this is critical. One time, every week, you put it in your calendar, and you start at that 15-minute mark, at that 30-minute mark, whatever it is, and you just are quiet, and you listen. Now today, I'm going to focus on two more missional habits. First, bless, and then eat. Habit number one is bless. I will bless three people this week. Now let me again define this for you. It means that you will bless someone who is of the faith. Someone who is a God follower. Someone who is part of the community of faith. And you will bless someone who is not yet redeemed. You know, I need to share with you just a little bit of a confession as a pastor to you. I used to use the word pagan a lot for someone that doesn't know Jesus. And actually, it's probably a very accurate term. Someone who lives their life without God. That is the definition of a pagan. But actually, it almost puts somebody in a box like they're going to be that way for the rest of their days. I love using the term now, not yet redeemed. It is something, again, where that is God's hope for every individual person on this planet. 
Now, whether they respond or not, I get that. But, but I think what I'd like to just say is this, is that you were going to bless in this kind of a rhythm one person of faith, one person who's not yet redeemed, not part of God's family, and then a third person you can choose from either category because it's just one of the two categories. All right? Now you may ask, what, is, what does bless mean? Well, life is hard. And discouragement happens. Pumping one's tires and encouraging other people are so needed. Encouragement is necessary for those on a spiritual journey. Encouragement is odd and sometimes most attractive to the unredeemed. Like, what's up with that guy? How come he's being kind? Blessing or gracing others mirror the character of God and allows our world, well, to experience a little bit of God's reign. Because when God is in charge and when He is in King, when He is King, which He is, all of a sudden we talk differently. And there's not so many put downs. And there's not so many negative things that are going on. But bless, especially in the English translation, means to add strength to another's arm. Biblically, I would say it's carry one another's burdens. In Galatians chapter 6, verses 2 and 3, Paul writes this to the church at Galatia. Share each other's burdens. In this way, you obey the law of Christ or the principle or, or you catch God's heart. How cool is this? If you think you're too important to help someone, you're only fooling yourself. You're not that important. Thank you, Paul. Sometimes we have to be warned. But you look at this, what are some ways to bless? What are some ways to literally carry one another's burdens? Well, chapter 3 of James tells us that our words really carry a lot of weight. So I think the first way that you and I might be able to bless others in our world is literally by our verbiage, by our words. James says our tongue is so little, which it is if you look at the rest of the parts of your body, right? But he also says just like a rudder in a boat, very little part of the boat, so very important, actually steers the boat, James says, and just like a rudder is small, just like a rudder is small, a tongue is small, but it carries great weight. So I believe, first of all, that one way you can encourage others with words, especially those who are followers of God, is to share truth, to share God's word with them over and over, because the journey is hard and faith is difficult. You know, there's quite nothing like watching your little girl in a hospital bed. And knowing that God is powerful, and knowing that God is terrific, and knowing that God can absolutely snap his fingers and heal that girl. And you're praying, and you're wondering, 
God, do you hear me? Do, do you? But as believers come around, our words like, he listened to God. It's well worth it. It sounds crazy sometimes, but you'll never regret listening to God. Or trust God. He's in charge. I know it looks like you're not in charge. And as you give scriptures, or just something like, Jesus is coming. At the end of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 11, Paul writes to this church at Thessalonica, and he says this, So encourage each other and build each other up, just like you're doing. If you look at the verses right before that, Paul was talking about, hey, Jesus is coming back for you. Do you realize this world is so temporary? Do you realize again? And all Paul was saying, hey, keep reminding people that this 50 or 60 or 80 or 90 years, oh my word, it's so trivial compared to everything. Jesus is coming back. And sometimes when life is so hard and seems so unjust and seems so difficult, we need to be reminded, say, oh, this is so temporary. This is so temporary. Justice will happen. God's coming back. I'm going to spend eternity with Jesus. This is so cool. We need to be reminded. You know, interesting though, I think our words also can bless those who are not redeemed. I want to tell you just a quick story. I um, talked to my aunt, my Aunt Martha, this last week. My Aunt Martha is 82 years old. And uh, she is just uh, one of my favorite people on this planet. Mostly because she prays like crazy for me. And I'm just not sure what would happen if old Aunt Martha would, uh, you know, depart here. But I, I look at Aunt Martha, and she called, Rick, Rick, I have to tell you a story. I said, okay, Aunt Martha, tell me your story. She goes, you know, I was going to the chiropractor this last week. She has a bad back. And she said, you won't believe it, but I didn't even have an appointment on that day. But I went thinking that I had an appointment. So I walk into the office, and I'm smiling because I go, I think that's kind of what happens all the time to you, Aunt Martha, is going on appointments that you don't know that you have, you know? So she ends up in this. She sits down, and there's an older gentleman there. And the older gentleman starts talking to her and says, yeah, I'm waiting for my wife. She has this and this and this. And, and he said, hey, are you uh, waiting for your husband? And Aunt Martha, without skipping a beat, said, oh, no, my husband's with the Lord. He's been with the Lord for the last X amount of years. And to be quite honest, I can't wait to see him or see my Lord again real soon. The dude's mouth just opened. <laughs> Lady, what? What, where are you from? What are you talking about? And she said over the next few minutes, she just said, Rick, I just told her the gospel, the verses that I memorized, and she just said, way back in Awana, they just came out, and I was just talking to this guy, and he was just so mesmerized. Finally, his wife came out, and they were leaving. And he said, thank you so much for talking. He left. But no sooner than he left, he walked back in. And he said, lady, I will never forget you. And I just said, oh, 
My aunt tells me all the time, you know, Rick, I'm just not a very good witness, and I just don't even know. And I go, holy schmoly, I wish all of us were not so good witnesses. Yeah, you know, I, I just mean that. And I think her words, I do not know if that gentleman knows the Lord. I don't. But you know how cool it is? And then she goes, it's just happy as ever. She goes, Rick, just think if I actually looked at my calendar and I only went to the chiropractor when I'm supposed to, this never would have happened. Okay, Martha, you got it. I don't have it, you know. But here's another thing. Gracious words. Gracious words. Truths encourage people that know the Lord, that don't know the Lord, but gracious words for everybody. Rick, you don't know my neighbors. You don't know who I work with. I get it. But listen to what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29. Don't use foul or abusive language. Foul or abusive. Figure that one out. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. So that everything I say, literally, if I hear this correctly, everything I say will encourage others. So I guess we can just ask the question, how did I do today? Were my words encouraging? Or were they sarcastic? Or were they demeaning? Or were they, uh, you just put it in there. Proverbs 10, 11. The words of the godly are a life-giving fountain. That hit me. Lord, if I'm listening to you, I'm following to you, when I talk, people are literally going to be refreshed as if it were 125 degrees outside and there's a cool glass of water or maybe a fountain that you literally jump in. Go with it where you want. But are my words like that? And I have to come back and say, no, Lord, they're not. So technically, if my words were like that, I would stick out like a sore thumb. Proverbs 12, 25. Worry weighs down a person or weighs a person down. An encouraging word cheers a person up. Just imagine this. How would your worlds literally change if your vocabulary changed? You would surprise your world. You would. You would literally surprise your world. Second thing you can do to bless others is acts of kindness. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 12, since God chose you to be holy people, he loves. You must clothe yourself with tender-hearted mercy. Clothe yourself with kindness, humility. Literally put these clothes on, gentleness and patience. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32, be kind to one another. I guess the question I would ask is this, what can you do to strengthen another person's arm? Well, a few weeks back, as we finished our study in the Gospel of John, we talked about Jesus said, I, I love you and show you my love because I just picked up a towel and did one of the most unlovely tasks of washing your feet. And so we've been talking a little bit like that around here and saying, 
Hey, how do you love others well? How do you serve others well? Pick up a towel. Do something for them that is, well, quite obnoxious. Not your activities is obnoxious, but what's something that's really hard to do? And just do it for them. Something that makes you extremely uncomfortable. Do it for them. Unbelievable. But you would strengthen their arms. What does that mean if you know a young mom in your neighborhood? After she's worn out with her four kids driving her crazy. That you might walk over there and give her an hour. Bring her a lemonade. And say, go put your feet up. Take a nap. Do some reading. Whatever you want. I got your kids. Rick, Rick, I'm busy. Like, I don't even like kids. What? Don't do this to me. Well, I'm not saying that you do it. Well, I guess I am saying that you do it. But you don't have to do that. But you all know how you can encourage others. And I think the third way to actually bless someone is give them a gift. Whoa, 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 whoa. Now you're starting to talk about money. But in Luke chapter 6, verse 35, Jesus is just talking about how believers act in the kingdom. And he said this, love your enemies. Now, I just want to stop right there. If we're supposed to love our enemies, I'm assuming we're supposed to love kind of the people that we like. All right? Do good to them. Lend to them without expecting to be repaid Oh, Rick, this is ridiculous. Are you serious? I have to teach them responsibility. Now, maybe God is pressing this on you literally. I don't know. But I know this. Jesus said in the kingdom, life looks really different. And you're going to do things that are absolutely crazy. Like lend to somebody who is your enemy and not expect to be repaid. I think that's called a gift. I do. And I'm not saying who to do it to or with and that you should all empty your bank accounts. I'm not. What I'm saying is why don't you listen to God? Maybe God's going to put something on your mind. All right? Because if you do, you'll truly be acting as children of the Most High. For He is kind to those who are unthankful and wicked. Do you know how you would surprise your world? Do you know what your enemies would look at you like? Absolutely. Are you serious? Have you lost your marbles? Or do you follow that king? Because I want to know that king. That's really different, isn't it? It's so amazing. You know... The question is, what gift can you give them to help them in the journey? Now, i got to say this, is that oftentimes you look in your cupboard or you have this or that and you want to give somebody a gift and, you know, you give them a candle and they're allergic to the scent. It's a bad gift, okay? But really, you need to be a student of those around you so you can give good gifts. Have you seen this ad? This cracks me up. Look at it. Happy birthday. This is so exciting. I wrapped it myself. A wallet. Um, what's this for? For your cash. I just use my BMO app. 
See? Well, what about your credit cards? They're on my phone, too. Look, I can even pay bills or send money. It is incredible. <laughs> I'll just take it back. So well, no, no, after you... Uh, why? Do you have a receipt? That feeling you get when your phone becomes your wallet? That's the BMO effect. Actually, I'm not a BMO employee. I just want you to know. But what cracked me up on this is, okay, I mean, he's doing a really nice thing. He's spending time with his grandmother. He bought his grandmother a beautiful present. Grandma says, what do I need this for? Come on, man, I use my phone. I don't need that wallet stuff. And I think sometimes we just, well, okay, I did my gift. You know, sometimes in very good ways, you will ask people, what can I do for you? Or how can I help you? And I think sometimes there are times when we should question that way. But literally, if we've been spending time with our neighbors, our friends, our co-workers, I bet you I know and you know what to do. Hey, you know what? We're moving next weekend. Oh, silence. This does not take rocket science to say. I think I'm busy. I have to watch the grass grow. I just think God gives us more opportunities than we will ever, ever, ever know. So be a good giver of gifts. And honestly, if somebody gives you a gift, I'm saying, I think you need to be thankful there. I do. Oh, we're going to move here. But here's a promise. Here's a promise. Uh, Proverbs 11.25. The generous will prosper. Those who refresh others will them themselves be refreshed. Habit number two. Eat. (laughs) I like this one. This is a good one. I will eat with three people this week. One who is a believer, one who is not yet redeemed, and then a third one that can be in either category. You know what's so interesting? If you look at the scripture, especially at Jesus, we find out that the Son of Man came to do three things, if you read the scriptures. He came to serve. We see that in Mark chapter 10. He came to seek and save the lost in Luke chapter 19. And he came to eat and drink. Whoa. Luke 7, verse 34. This is what Jesus' reputation was. The Son of Man feasts and drinks. And you say he's a glutton and a drunkard and a friend of tax collectors and other sinners. You know what Jesus, I think, was trying to teach us? His purpose was to seek and to save and to serve, but his method was to eat and to drink. You see, the table seems to be a universal symbol of friendship. It represents hospitality and generosity and grace. The table, in many ways, is an equalizer. Jesus modeled for us what life in the kingdom looks like when he got in trouble. Let let me explain this. Pharisees and oftentimes church people, don't throw me out yet, just please let me finish, expect conversion before we have 
fellowship with people. Jesus changed the culture. He actually had fellowship with people before conversion. Let's look at this just a little deeper. In Luke 15, chapter one, or verses 1 and 2, tax collectors and other notorious sinners came to listen to Jesus teach. This made the Pharisees and teachers of religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people and, in parentheses, even eating with them. Jesus was associating with, even eating with them. What's interesting is Dr. Luke doesn't even give an explanation here. Everybody knew what eating with them was. They were eating, having fellowship. They were touching elbows. This was absolutely terrible. What happens? Well, I think literally is that Jesus was perfect at loving the sinner and hating the sin. All the way through the scriptures. And somehow in our church or the church, we combine this. We do. And, and again, I'm not trying to pick on anyone, but, but sometimes we hate the sinner and hate the sin by the way we treat people. But you know, it's so cool. After Jesus was charged with this in Luke 15, he goes on and follows up with all these lost parables. The lost coin and the lost sheep, and the lost son. And what he was doing is shouting from the rooftops and saying, I care about lost people. I want them to come into the kingdom. There's going to be so much rejoicing. Their lives will change. And they will have eternity with me. This is so important. Eating meals together is a rhythm that will help us be salt and light. Now, let me say this. You might want to be careful because God may be calling some of you evangelists to a bar softball league. Let's look at this clip. Second uh, missional habit I want to talk to you about is eating. So we've talked about uh, blessing, so B for blessing, and the second letter is E, E for eating. What I want to do is to encourage you to think about what it would be like for you to see the regular practice of eating, bringing people to the table and engaging in conversation with them as a habitual weekly practice. Bringing people to a table is a really important missional practice because the thing that I find, and you probably find the same thing, is that when you sit together at a table, when you share food and drink, conversation of a much deeper and more intimate level often occurs. The thing about food and drink is it's the great equalizer in relationships. When I sit across a table from someone, when I eat with them, when I drink with them, I'm actually going to engage in much more significant conversation than if I just saw them in the street or talked to them in the corridor at work or bumped into them at some sporting event or something. Food and drink and the table, it has some unique relational impact on people's lives. So I want you to eat with at least one member of your church, at least one non-Christian, 
uh, who you know in your circles, and then the third one can be from either category. Now, some people say to me, well, yikes, that's an awful lot of people to, to, to we're going to have three dinner parties every week? No. Think about it. You already eat three times a, a day, right? Well, at least I do. That's not even counting like coffee and donuts and whatever else you have. So three times a day, seven days a week, that's 21 meals a week, 21. And all I'm asking is that for three of them, you bring somebody to the table, you sit opposite them, you eat and you drink. You watch how the table can become a really powerful missional zone in your life if you make it a habitual practice. I think we've forgotten the power of the table as a significant space for meaningful missional engagement. What Michael Frost is encouraging and what we are encouraging is that we begin changing the world one interaction at a time. Thinking again of our 200 people going out in 200 different neighborhoods and 200 different work spots and 200 times going into Walgreens and buying gum. Wherever you go, whatever you do, is that we could be a cross-point army surprising our world. It takes disciplines originally, and they maybe turn into rhythms. And there's always a cost. There's always a cost. I get it. But maybe we can bless somebody one word at a time. Or eat with somebody or a family or a neighbor one meal at a time or listen to the spirit one yes at a time responding to our special assignments aren't you getting more excited i bet you cannot even wait until next week when we finish up the two last habits we're not asking you to be billy grahams we're asking you to surprise your world let's pray Oh God, we are so grateful that you came to change lives, that life with you is abundant. Lord, I am so grateful that you walk with me during the valleys, that you walk with me when things seem so discouraging. But I'm also so grateful, God, for the people around me who bless me and encourage me and enter into my world. God, would you give us the courage to this week spend some time listening to you? And perhaps, Father, blessing three people and eating with three others. God, we do not know what you're going to do in our lives. You might send us to a chiropractic office it's not even our time. But God, you know better than we know. And we love you. In Jesus' name, amen.